Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course, Josh Williams. It's our first show in three weeks instead of two. We we should have recorded last week, but I was on leave, so so we couldn't. And it turned out to be a bit of a bit of an error, really, because you know, this time last week we would have been talking about a, a really good FA Cup win, and instead we're we're recording on the back of a pretty dull uh, home defeat to Manchester City. But um, we'll we'll get on to that in a minute. Uh, we'll talk about Everton in general too, and then we'll we'll look ahead to the big Merseyside derby on the weekend. But first and foremost, uh, Josh, co-host, how are you? Always good, mate. Um, a little bit nervy this week, I suppose, with the uh, the Merseyside derby on the horizon. But yeah, generally good. Yeah, it's it's funny when I talk to Liverpool fans about you know when they have like nerves and and, and derby belly because. I just feel like, uh, you know, it should be at the stage now where it's, a, you know, uh, nerves of steel, I guess, or just I can make almost an inevitability about it all, that it's, uh, it's all going to turn out okay. But uh, maybe it's that lingering lingering thing of uh, it can't go on forever and, you know, maybe that defeat will, will eventually come and it could be in the next game, I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure we'll get to it, but it, it just feels like it's if it's ever gonna happen, it feels like it's gonna be this time around given the um you know the current circumstances. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay. Well yeah, all right, we'll park that for now. We'll come back to that shortly. Um we'll briefly talk about City, but we won't stay on too long because uh I'll be honest, it wasn't a game I enjoyed at all. Um, you know, not even from a from a supporter's perspective, it's just it's a very kind of a city, uh, city match, shall we say? You know, Manchester City just dominating all aspects, and uh, the other team holding on. But um, I take it you watched the game, Josh, uh, and if so, what were your general thoughts? Yeah, I'd say it went pretty much as expected. Really, I don't, I don't think I expected City to bag as many as three, considering oh. um, you know Gundogan, who's been putting the ball in the net quite frequently lately, was was benched and. Just what Goodison Park usually like, you know, the pitch isn't in great condition at the minute because of the uh, the weather and stuff. I just thought that City City would nick it, maybe, um, maybe one nil, two two nil at most. I didn't think they'd score three, um, but the way in which the match transpired, the stylistic nature of both teams, I don't think was was that unexpected. With the exception of Everton, maybe, maybe I expected Everton to offer a little bit more going forward. But then again, you you have to consider the fact that Calvert Lewin was unavailable, and Hamas Rodriguez was benched until about seventieth mm. minute. So, mm. yeah, I mean, as you said, not not too not too different from the typical City performance, really. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I um, I found it quite funny looking back on the um, the underlying numbers from the match. Uh, if you because if you just looked at the XG, 
for example, you'd you'd think it was a fairly you know tight contest because uh, I think the game finished with an XG of one point one for Everton and one point five for City, um, and that was actually the highest XG City have conceded. Uh, sorry, the second highest since uh, since the, the first meeting with Liverpool um, at the back end of last year. Um, I think Liverpool had around 1.3 against them at Anfield a couple of weeks ago, but you know either side of that, it's at all being a lot lower than and, and lower than the 1.1 that Everton <laughs> accumulated. But the uh, the huge caveat is I think Richarlison's goal accumulated next year of something silly like maybe. 0.94 or 95 because it was it was probably the highest you'll you'll see in a in a game isn't it yeah point point nine six I'm looking at on um on the stat at the minute yeah it's as big of a start as you could possibly get find to be honest yeah yeah it was uh, it was huge and it was one of them where I don't think you know he knew much about it um but you couldn't have really missed um but you know, if you if you then delve a little bit deeper, that was Everton's one shot on target. Um, three shots across the whole game. I think uh, City had seven on target, sixteen overall, seventy-one percent possession. It was, uh, it was you know, as you said, it was kind of the, the dominant game you expected um, from City. And I think that when you look back on that defeat to Fulham, you know. It, it, it added importance on this game that you didn't really want to have because it was a game you're probably not going to get anything out of. Um, yeah, you know, I'll tell you what I did find interesting, Josh. I spoke to our City writer at Reach this morning and he said, although Everton were very defensive, uh, in his opinion, bearing in mind he watches City home and away, um, he said that's the closest any Premier League team has come to beating City in a long time. Now, I watched the Liverpool game and I'm not sure... I think Liverpool put in a better performance than, than Everton did. But I think in, in, in terms of a, a sweeping statement, it does probably point out just how good City have been over these past, you know, two months. Yeah, I mean that I must admit that's a bit of an odd statement for me, considering as you said, Everton posted a total of three shots. Mm. Um one of them was obviously a tapping. But the other two, you know, I mean what the the other one was uh, Luca Dean shot, uh, which which ended up hitting the post, and then Richarlison put in. Mm. So, you know, two of Everton's three shots come in the space of two seconds. Yeah. So, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, there's a it's it's about perception, really. It's a game of opinions and stuff like that. But I didn't overly feel like um, like City was struggling. I think if you look at the shots that City accumulated, I mean, they they, they went at any stage accumulating clear cut chances that you'd that you'd expect them to score. I mean two of the goals that they did find came from outside the box and it was very much an accumulation of what you'd label as maybe low quality chances and stuff like that. But when mm. you've got players as good as City in attacking areas and there's maybe not too much pressure on the shooter, this sort of thing can can happen really and yeah it's it's one of them that you you go into and it's kind of like a bonus really, isn't it? If you come away from with a point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I thought the, the goals were fairly... Uh, obviously, Foden one was a little bit fortunate. Uh, I thought the Mahrez one was really good. And then with the third one, I'm, I'm looking at the keeper again. I think the people trying to make excuses and you know, don't want to keep going over the same narrative. But um, it's just, you know, you want, you, want, you want your keeper to save those shots, I think. Um, if, you, if you can get it, if you're within distance enough to get a hand on it, 
then you've got to make sure that hand keeps out the goal. Uh, and Pickford doesn't do that. Um, so I think there's question marks over them, in my opinion. But um, unless you want to add anything on Pickford, Josh, uh, I think we might be best just moving on, you know. Yeah, well, I, I tweeted just as you can see this second that, uh, that that's the the thirty second goal that he's conceded from outside the box since he joined Everton. And mm. uh, I actually had a little glance before put the numbers together. I'll be I'll probably be sharing the viz on me on me Twitter in the next few days on it. But over that period, Everton have conceded a total of thirty three from outside the box. Um. So obviously, what one one was conceded, that wasn't Pickford. Um, mm. But then there's only two teams in the league since over that same period that have conceded more, and that's Southampton, who have had plenty of goalkeeping problems over the years. They've conceded thirty four, mm. and Crystal Palace have conceded thirty six. Um, but it's just, it's just one of them that if, if Everton was to was to get an order. And what's to stop conceding from outside the box or even start conceding from outside the box to a relatively normal rate, say around the 20 goal mark as opposed to 33. You know, that's that's 13 goals difference over the course of, I don't know, however long, but considering it's low scoring sport and goals change games and all that sort of stuff, it's it's a valuable area really that Everton is suffering from and I don't think Pickford offers much of a solution there. Exactly, you know, if you look at last night, last night's game, the third goal basically ends, and you know it wasn't the most competitive game anyway, but it does it does end the contest really. You know, in terms of you know, the psychological impact, you knowing you've got to try and score two just to get a point out the game, um, it's done. And it, it, you know, conceding those goals can be a lot more expensive elsewhere against Leicester, for example. Telemann scores uh, that one should have been saved, and it was obviously. End up costing Everton, Everton come away one point instead of three. It's just you know it, it's been something that we've covered a lot, but um, it's just a recurring issue. I don't think it'll change, and I don't know in terms of uh, looking ahead to the weekend only because we're on the subject now. If you were Ancelotti, who would you put in goal? The tricky one, um, because I think I think initially Olsen did quite well, mm-hmm. but the past one or two performances I've seen him. He's looked not not particularly great, but even so, I think knowing what Pickford's like on the the mental side, being being prone to the odd random moment, let's say, and, and given what happened in the last Merseyside derby, I think I'd probably start Olsen, to be honest. Mm, yeah, that's that's. So I remember looking into Robert Olsen when he uh, when he come to when he arrived at Everton, and uh, his his underlying numbers. Weren't great to be honest. Uh, I'll see if I can get them up now. And yeah, as I expected, really. So we had like a uh, a post shot expected goals of uh, twenty one point nine. So roughly, you know, twenty two, and he conceded twenty four goals. So even though it's not it, it's not great, but it's also not horrendous. It's just bang average, and that's what he looks like he is to be honest. Just you know, a bang average keeper. Um, but I think he's he, he just feel, feels like he's a little more. A little more calm on the pitch, less erratic, and you know when these kind of bigger games, especially in a game like say Saturday, where you imagine Liverpool are going to be the the more dominant side and uh, see more of the ball, more stuff happening inside Everton's defensive third. You want a more calm and presence, don't you? Uh, you want to be able to 
uh, almost remain relaxed. Um, don't get, you know, overwhelmed by by the attacks because, you know, we'll probably come on to it, but Liverpool have struggled to beat great teams down recently. So you just need calm and presence in, in your own penalty area. And of the two, I think Olsen's the calmer, I guess. Yeah, you want to remove emotion, really, I think, in, in a game like this, especially if... I mean, sometimes emotion can be a good thing for the players, for the outfielders on the pitch, maybe mm. not the goalkeeper in a, in a match like this. And you just mentioned there that Liverpool have had a bit of a problem when it comes to breaking down blocks lately. One of the ways in which I suppose you can get around the block is by scoring from long range. And as we just touched on, Everton have a bit of an issue with that sort of thing. So mm. it's a, it's probably a risk I just, I just wouldn't take. And I think based on the goal that was the last goal that was conceded against Bernardo Silva in particular, I think Ancelotti would have legitimate grounds to, to probably drop Pickford without Pickford really having the leg to stand on. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, we'll move on to... It, it was interesting this week. So basically, um, we recorded Analyzing Anfield, didn't we, on Monday? Uh, and we had a chat before we started recording about... Uh, well, the way we do, just bits and bobs and talking about Everton and uh, Everton's underlying performances, um, or more specifically, the, the kind of online performance numbers. And after that, I went away and had a look at it because uh, it's, it, it had been on my mind for a while. And I put together like a role in XG and XG against visualization I tweeted out on, I think I tweeted out Monday. Uh, and it was Marco Silva's final 42 Premier, Premier League games versus Carlo Ancelotti's. And um, I suppose the key takeaway from it was the uh, the XG average uh, averages of both well Everton under both managers uh, Silva it was XG four was one point two six XG against was one point two six identical really uh, Ancelotti's is one point three one but XG against is one point one point two six ironically so the same as Silva so there's like there's really no difference over what is you know a sample size of more than a full season really worth of matches um and the kind of thing that really stood out for me josh uh is it feels like for a lot of the time matches are very often in the balance with silver um and based on those numbers at least it's it's kind of the same story under ancelotti at the moment which which is a little bit of a concern for me um and if you were kind of looking at this from the outside, Josh, rather than just being Everton, just, you know, Team A, Team Blue or whatever, what would be your thoughts looking at that? It would just it just looks like a, a relatively beige team. <laughs> I think that's what I've mm. said, said to you in, 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 this week. Um, you know, I haven't really been wanting to be the, the man to say it because obviously I, I am a red, so it might look like I've got, an agenda, really, with, with what I'm saying. But what I'm doing, really, is just assessing what I'm seeing in front of me in terms of the performance numbers. And it, it just looks like Everton is just not that good, not that bad. Uh, just mm. just very much middle of the road sort of thing. And that's why, if you look at the results over the course of the season, they are very much up, down, up, down, up, down sort of thing. Um, mm. And, you know, the, I think it's been disguised that certain points because of the wins that have been picked up but I don't know I think I think some people are inclined to 
really overlook what it what it takes to win. Like winning isn't just a, a random occurrence. Like it, it, I mean, it can be the odd moments, but over a longer period of time, win, winning just doesn't happen. Winning happen happen usually because of a certain thing going on in the game. Like to get consistent results, usually you've got to be out shooting your opponents. You've got to be generating better opportunities than them in attack and restricting them to very little on, in defence. And if you do that over a longer period of time, the results will kind of fall in your favour. I think it's it's a case of like, you need to look how you perform, how your team's performing on the field. And regardless of, you know, say, say you pick up a win, you know, just think to yourself, if Everton perform exactly the same way next week, are they likely to win again? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time with Everton this season, for me, the, an- the answer's been no. Even though they've picked up the odd win through, like, you know, moments of quality and set pieces and, and things like that. I-, I have watched Everton and thought to myself, if they play exactly the same game next week, I don't think that delivers a win. And th- that's kind of what you're after. That's kind of what you want to establish. Mm. Um, and I've-, I've-, I've wanted it to be the case for Everton. I think earlier on, early on in the season, we were a bit more encouraged by the numbers, it looked like Everton's attack had received a little bit of a boost and stuff, and Hannes Rosiguez was clearly making a difference in things, but uh, I think it's just kind of drifted as the season's gone on, and Everton's performance numbers in particular just look quite normal. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably the best way I can describe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, on, on, your, on your first point there, it's all about, you know, uh, repeating the performance and getting the result, like I, I agree with that. Uh, and something I flagged when I was looking into it more was, you know, eight of Everton's eleven victories this season have been by you know a one goal margin. The, the, the games have been really tight, and um, they've done little. You know, they've had moments of brilliance from certain players, uh, or you know, set pieces, which has been really important. That we'll, we'll touch on in a minute. You know, they, they've kind of been things that have been tipping the. The scales it's t- t- towards the win column, but you know, in reality, it's it, the underlying numbers paint a picture of a side who really are kind of largely mid table. You know, I'll run through them now so people can get an idea uh, who are listening. So the the and this was I haven't updated this. Was, this was as of Monday. I don't know if it changed following the game against Manchester City, but uh, they rank 16th for shots attempted on a per ninety basis. 12th for shots faced on a per 90 basis. Uh, they also rank 12th in terms of non-penalty XG and 13th for non-penalty XG against. I mean, they're, they're really kind of underlying numbers you'd, you'd expect to see for, you know, mid-table to bottom half side, not really one that you, you're touting for, for Champions League football. Um, and this isn't me being negative at all. You know, I think there's I think there's more more to it than just, you know what the what the online numbers are saying, but the, the, ultimately, the, if you look at them, the the tend to paint a, a fairly accurate picture of of how a team is performing, and therefore, as you explained well before, Josh, you know how sustainable the results are. And I think the reason you haven't seen these a real you know sustained run results for Everton is because the performances haven't actually been that good, and sometimes I think it's been forgotten by the the narrative of getting a positive result. I think Old Trafford's a really good example, actually. If uh, against United, I thought Everton uh, weren't the best, if I'm being honest. Uh, I think they had little moments, but you know, second best side in the first half, two 0 down, 
could have quite been game over. And then these two goals come from nothing, really. One was a mistake by De Gea for the Corres, and then the second was a bit of brilliance by Rodriguez in terms of the finish. And then, you know, just a set piece at the very end to, to nick it. Um, and everyone was really on a high after that, but the performance wasn't that great. And, you know, probably on a, on another week, you, you get beat in that game. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned that they're about not wanting to, to sound negative and stuff, and that, that's something that I've been really mindful of on this podcast. Like, again, with the fact that I've got a, a red background as opposed to a blue one, I think people can easily view it as I've got an agenda or, or whatever. And it's it's not the case, but, it, you know, if you, if you if you follow purely the wins theme on, on, on a podcast, every week your opinions will fluctuate. Every, every week you'll, you'll be, you know, as fickle as... As in, because one week you'll be praising the scenes the high heavens because they've won one nil, and the next week they'll get beat one nil, and you'll be you'll be at the bottom, you know, rock mm. bottom. So I think what the numbers do is is kind of offer a degree of objectivity, really. And I think I, you know throughout the season I've went on about goal difference as a perfectly easy um, performance indicator to kind of show where Everton are and. At the minute, Evan, I've got the 10th best expected goal difference in the league. You know, you've got the likes of Aston Villa on plus 12, Spurs on plus 11, West Ham on plus 9, Arsenal on plus 6, and then Everton just on, on plus 2. Despite being on plus 2, they currently rank 7th in the Premier League table, but that, that just kind of reminds me a little bit of a few years back the Newcastle story, Dave, when mm. um, oh, I yeah. think Newcastle finished maybe fifth under Alan Pardew. He was given the famous eight-year contract, was it? Nine-year contract or whatever. Yeah. On the back of finishing fifth or whatever it was. But he finished fifth with a, a goal difference of, of something like plus one. And it was very much a case of Newcastle had won a fair amount of games, but by a one-goal margin. In other words the matches were really in the balance and stuff. And it seems that they finished above, had a goal difference of like, you know, plus 15, plus, plus 20. Mm. And it just kind of offered an insight into the following season. You know, is that likely to happen again? You know, lo and behold, Newcastle finished above 15, I think. And I think Pardew got sacked mid-season. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying Everton is anywhere near that bad, but what I'm saying is, you know, th- th- these numbers performance in the cases we call them do kind of offer an insight into whether results are sustainable or not and I think Everton's a, a little bit more sustainable than the results suggest it, sorry than the performance numbers suggest because they've got A better quality players than the average team in the league and B they're good from set pieces so they, they steal the odd little goal and things but you know from a performance perspective you know Ancelotti's first full season in charge he's been in charge for about just over a year and a half now and stuff I just think you want you, you want to see maybe a little bit more on the um, the future performance side, maybe. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just at the risk of us, uh, you know, putting too many listeners on a down there, I'll, I'll, I'll try and uh, I'll try and focus on maybe two two positives, I guess. And one is, as you've just said, Josh, set pieces. Um, obviously, I think a key difference between Ancelotti's Everton and Silvers is uh, under Silva, they conceded the most set pieces in the 2018-19 season. That was his one full one in charge, um, which, you know, it can, can really kill you points-wise um, if your games are tight. Like so many times, I felt like Everton within, you know, these tight nil-nils, one-ones, and then they go and concede a set piece and that ends up being a defeat. Um this season, Everton have got the uh, the joint second highest goals from set pieces. So obviously, Ancelotti's kind of turned that around, and now the the team are really dangerous from them from them, and and obviously winning games as a result of them. So that's good. And I think another thing I will say is, uh, not to make an excuse as such, uh, but you, you you could probably make a case that a lot of the team between Silver's time in charge and Ancelotti's is. Uh, it's a very similar core group of players, and what was it we always say, Josh? You know, as good as your players. Well, uh, I was just going to say then. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to add on the positive mm. side is, is is the squad. You know, I, I do still think the squad, although Marcel Brands has got through quite a bit, and he's got rid of a bit of dead wood and stuff, and he's got in players that can that can contribute and things like that. Mm. I do think the squad is still very. I don't know, probably unbalanced is maybe the word. Um, and we said earlier in the season that if, if Everton can field the same 11 throughout the campaign, they'll probably have a good year. But if at the moment that they have to start rotating, they might encounter some issues. And, you know, with, with time, with a few more windows and stuff, it should be a case of it when Everton do rotate, the drop isn't as heavy. Mm. Um, and they can mix things up a little bit better rather than putting square pegs and round holes and things. So that's one thing I did want to add. You know, on Ancelotti, Ancelotti's side, yeah, he, he is kind of having to to manage a squad at the minute that is a, a little bit all over the place still, and and maybe requires a little bit more work, mm. even though it's a, you know still a work in progress. Yeah, that's it. So if uh, if if you're kind of listening now and you want to take a positive um, takeaway from the show, then maybe look at it as you know, there's a manager in there who. Is in a position maybe his hands are tied a little bit in terms of improving overall performances on a consistent basis, but he's still managing to get you know really good results out of out of a, a group that has its limitations, I guess. Um, but there's just there's just a warning, I guess, a red flag that we're we're trying to say that you know the if if results were to fall off a cliff over these next few weeks. Uh, and months and Evans season kind of tails off to mid table mediocrity. It wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a huge shock. Um, but you, you don't know. Uh, Evan have been picking up results this season. Still so much better off than, than in years gone by. So perhaps you know they, they'll keep doing things just to make sure they secure wins. Um, and if they are, 
you know, they might want might want to try and replicate it this weekend in a in a huge game. For would you say this is a huge game not just for Everton but for Liverpool as well, considering how how the year's gone so far, twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think looking at the the Premier League table last night because I obviously watched the Everton game, mm. and then when they showed the table afterwards, it it kind of hit me a little bit. To be honest, because <laughs> I've, I've kind of I hadn't realised, but I, I hadn't really been looking much at the table for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. And when I did have a glance at it, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, we have to at least finish in the top four. And when mm-hmm. it, when the table came up yesterday, I didn't actually realise that the the six points separating Liverpool and, and Man United and Leicester yeah. um, in in second and third. So it it can't it's getting to a point now. I mean, it's probably not the case just yet, but it's getting to a point now where fourth, never mind third and second, fourth is kind of the target. Two points mm. off fourth still. Mm. But even, even like Celeste and United are kind of running away a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, was, I was putting together a piece this morning just from a United perspective and uh, I didn't know that myself. There was a six between United and Liverpool. It's just, obviously that's not good for Liverpool, but just in terms of a general perspective, it's so tight, isn't it? Uh, up there that, it's it's really difficult to kind of predict what what's going to happen, um, but you know Everton are currently one place and behind Liverpool with a game in hand um, against Aston Villa. You know, so that's it's not an easy game, but I, I suppose Everton and Villa would look at that game as one that they could potentially win. Um, so Everton could draw level on points with with Liverpool with a game with a win this weekend and still have a game in hand. Um, which is, you know, you wouldn't expect that at the start of the season. So I suppose that you don't want to go too doom and gloom because if we just put the performances to one side and just look at points and results, there's, you know, there's still a lot to play for them. Even, you know, if they could put together a run Everton, then they could well be within that conversation of Champions League football. But just, obviously, Josh, we, we, we look at Liverpool in detail every week. Um, so we kind of know what's been going on. But... Can you maybe just give an idea um, to to Everton fans who will obviously have been keeping an eye on the results and seeing them look like they're, they're doing really poorly uh, and thinking, you know, what's going on, or just just try and capture what it what it's been like? Because although the results haven't been great, the performances haven't been terrible. Have they? There's just a few recurring issues. Oof. How long have you got? Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. So it's 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 been a weird season, really, really weird season from Liverpool perspective. Um I think we've reached a point now whereby it's kind of a case of Liverpool is still in many, many departments as as dominant as usual, but at the business end of both at the business end of the pitch at both ends, um Liverpool have seemed a little bit broken in a way. And alongside that, we've obviously had key injuries and stuff to big players that were built around. Um, you know, even even before this season, you look at Van Dijk. Van Dijk never gets injured. Fabinho never really gets injured. Even those two, I've I've encountered problems this season. Um, obviously, we expected it from Massa. We expected it from Gomez. But you know, for Fabinho and Van Dijk to also get get knocked out, it's it's been hard to mm-hmm. deal with. And I think initially when Liverpool lost Van Dijk, I was I was very much like you know we can it'll be fine, just a little bit of an adjustment. 
and then we have to adjust again after Gomez goes, and then we have to adjust again after Massive goes. And I think it's just kind of got to a point now where, despite um, kind of trying to push forward through the storm, the, the wheels have kind of came off a little bit at both ends. So the attack seems to be good at sustaining attacks and good at keeping the ball high up the pitch in final third and stuff. But in terms of generating clear-cut openings, it just seems to have stopped. And it's really difficult to ascertain why. And at the back end of the field, because we don't have the likes of Van Dijk, who's really capable in 1v1s and stuff like that, and as well as being really capable in the air, Liverpool have been prone to suffering from what I've been labelling as the odd, the odd moments, really. So whether that be a counter-attack, whether it be an unforced error, whether it be a header from a corner kick or a set-piece or whatever. And as a result, Liverpool have been suffering when it comes to getting over the line, getting wins, and we've been suffering from quite a few losses lately. So it's weird because it's, it's still very much the same Liverpool in a way but without being anywhere near as practical at both ends of the field. So we're more vulnerable defensively and less clinical offensively, which is obviously a bit of a dream for Everton, I suppose. Yeah, because if you look at this in terms of a matchup, uh, Everton haven't done too bad in these games where uh, the the onus has almost been on them to you know give the ball to the opposition, sit in, uh, remain fairly compact, and then... And then take moments. I thought even in, in maybe not so much in the second half, but certainly in the first, that I, I thought there were some good examples of Everton breaking out quite well uh, when the ball was turned over uh, against against City. There was one where the ball went over the top. Uh, I think it was moved on by Sigurdsson to the Dinier, and then he, he puts over to Decore, and then Decore opts to try and pass instead of shooting. Um, I do think Everton have done that stuff quite well. Uh, and obviously, we've already talked about it, set pieces. You know, Everton have been good at set pieces. Liverpool not as great uh, defending because the the missing key players at the back. Whether you know Kabak, for example, might you know be a lot more sturdy in that position. We, we'll have to wait and see because we haven't really seen much of him yet, or enough to make judgment. But I think stylistically, it's not the worst game actually for Everton. This, if you're going to go to you know one of the top sides away from home. Um, there's, there's enough to at least cling on to some optimism of, of getting a result. Um, to be honest, I'd say it's more than cling on. I'd say the stylistic matchup favours Everton, I think, in this game, which feels weird because I don't think it's been the case for a few years. But going into this game, and I, I, I'm trying not to be just you know a concerned Liverpool fan here, going into this game, what I see is kind of, in Everton, I see a team that is more capable, if you like, when when they're allowed to just show pressure and they're allowed to play in a block. I see a team that can't can show pressure and can defend in a block given the likes of um you know Michael Keane who who used to, who came from Burnley, did that twenty four seven really. Obviously yeah I mean I think he's gonna be out for the derby isn't he but he's the type mm-hmm. of defender in very much in that mould and stuff. Uh you got Alan, you got Decore and players like that. And then going up the opposite end You've obviously got players who can counter-attack, players who can dominate normal centre-backs, never mind makeshift ones that Liverpool are putting in. And you've got players who are really good in the air from, from set-pieces. Liverpool don't have as much safety 
against counter attacks lately, they can't dominate opposing forwards as they used to. They can't dominate set pieces, and they can't really break down break down a block. So it's as as I said, the stylistic makeup of this before the game. Obviously, you can you, you always have to add the caveat that Liverpool are on their day of an elite team, and you know on the back of getting defeated by Manchester City and, and Leicester, they go and play a really solid game against Leipzig and, and beat them 2-0 and probably going to go through into the next one in the Champions League. So there's always the caveat that Liverpool can turn up and really stamp the mark on the game. But at the same time, stylistically, it feels like a little bit of um, paper meeting rock, in a way. Mm. I think my uh, my pessimism comes from you know the factors beyond performance. I think uh, I think this the group isn't that mentally strong. The playing playing group that is, uh, and you've got a really bad away record hanging over you at Anfield. That seems to just weigh Everton down every single performance there. Um, okay, admittedly Ancelotti's there now, winning mentality. I accept all that, but you know he he was. Although it was early into his tenure, he, he still oversaw a really bad defeat to basically a Liverpool second string at Anfield last year. Um, but one, to counter, go on. One thing you have to add on that as well is there's no fans in the ground. I was just well, I was just leading on to that. I was just about to say one thing I will say is obviously I I I basically go to every Liverpool home game in a working capacity, and I've I've definitely noticed. Basically, especially since the turn of the year where teams have been going to Anfield and getting wins like Burnley, Brighton um, I've noticed that the, the, that fear factor or you know that, that added emotion from the stands isn't there and I think it definitely makes the task easier for the away team um, and I just wonder whether that'll make life easier for Everton who, who have definitely enjoyed the games on the road more uh, without home fans being there. You know, the record this season is, away from home, is, by their standards, fantastic. You know, I can't remember the season where they've won so many on the road. Um, I don't know if I've got in front of me now. Yeah, they've won, they've won seven of the 11 matches uh, in away games this season. So they played 11 away matches, won seven, lost only two. Um which is, you know, it's a, it's a good record and they do seem to be a side who are benefiting, which will tie into this thing where, say, they've got fragility across the team. Uh, seems to benefit from going to stadiums in it where no home fans are there. So, again, maybe that is just a small thing that's in, in Everton's favour. Uh, the only reason I'm not getting too optimistic is I just think you touched on it, Liverpool just have elite players who can kind of produce moments, you know, like in the first game. Uh when Salah scores to make it 2-1, that, that really come from nothing. You know, it was a, a bit of a nothing moment where the ball's come out to him. He's just struck it on the volley and bottom corner, keeping no chance. Uh, I think Liverpool are capable of that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's why I'm quite reserved in my optimism. But as I said, if I look at it from Team A, Team B, you know, I do think uh, the visitors have a, have an opportunity to get something. Yeah, more, more so than, than ever really, it feels like. Mm. Um, like I think one one of my big concerns going into this game is is conceding first. I think if if Liverpool concede first and they give Everton something to hang on to, and the emphasis 
all of the emphasis goes on Liverpool to find a way back into the game. We just don't seem to have that sort of attack lately, whereby we can consistently open up a defence. Um, it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly why, but uh, mm. it's it's just it's difficult. And I think I think if you were to tell me now, going into the game at, at some stage, Liverpool will go behind. Or Liverpool, if you were to tell me Liverpool will concede first, I'd, I'd have to think about actually taking a punt. And I think I'd be quite happy to, to take a punt because of how difficult it probably would be for Liverpool to, to get back into the game and to open up Everton and stuff. Mm. Given that Everton would have something to hold on to. So, yeah, there's a few question marks attached to this game and it feels more... This, this, put it this way, this, this game feels more, especially given Everton's season, what we've just been talking about, their performance numbers and how they've been able to snatch results and stuff. This this game just feels really open to the fine margins being really close and something just happening for either team, but probably Everton in the, on the positive side, you know, in terms of winning a penalty or scoring from a set piece uh, through nothing or an individual error or just something random deciding the result when could because the two performances of both teams um don't do enough in that department. Mm. Should we should we go go for predictions then on, on, on that point? Go <laughs> <laughs> on, I'll let you go first. I'm gonna stick with despite the midweek win which was good. I think I'm going to stick with um, what I said on the Analyzing Anfield podcast on Monday, and that was one all. Mm. Um, big de- big dependence on who scores first in this game, I think. Yeah. But uh, I think whoever scores first actually might go on to win it, but I just can't see... I see a nice stylistic makeup for Everton, and um, I find it difficult to, to actually think that Liverpool will, will, will open up this team enough to to deliver the win but you know who knows mm. I think uh, I think from an Everton perspective having Calvert-Lewin back is huge yeah, yeah we mean is a blow of course but uh, yeah having Calvert-Lewin back is a is a big addition uh, for the way Everton play uh, I I actually he says this with uh, with shame back to Liverpool 2-1 victory in the podcast early in the week um, and I, I just that's, that's just what I can see unfortunately I think I don't think at all, uh, there'll be any sort of dominance by by either side, you know, including Liverpool. Uh, but I just, I just think there might just be a little bit too much f- from Liverpool on the day, and maybe Everton. Uh, it, it stinks of a hard luck story, shall we say? You know, Everton playing fairly well or containing quite well, but maybe two two moments of magic from the home team or you know a bit of a an error somewhere then and that'll that'll that's, prove decisive that's not exactly what you've just said has, has been liverpool of late liverpool of it, it's felt as though liverpool have been playing well up until i mean it, i take manchester city and leicester as two perfect examples until the 70 minute mark in both games liverpool were right in there very competitive seeing more of the ball at the time um and the result was very much in the balance, if you like. But Liverpool suffered from what you'd label as moments in both games, you know, random crazy moments, really. And we're more vulnerable to that lately. 
And maybe in past seasons, we wouldn't have been stunned too much by those moments because we'd have already had a lead or maybe even two goals. This season, we are getting that lead. We are establishing that breakthrough. And that's just as the match progresses, as the match goes on, we maybe commit one or two men more forward or, you know, we just look a little bit more vulnerable as the match progresses. So it's a, it's a tricky one to preview. Mm, it is. Uh... We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, thanks for listening in, and you know, I appreciate people reaching out to us on Twitter and things. Um, sorry, I can't always reply to them all, but uh, Josh will back it up here sometimes. If you if you've put a tweet out and you get a few replies, they can kind of you know they quickly disappear. Don't be the uh, people's tweets that you wanted to get back to. So yeah, please don't uh, don't take it personal. Uh, but really appreciate you getting in touch and continue to do so. And obviously. Pass the, pass the pod around. Josh, thanks very much, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Uh, take care, everyone. And have a good uh, weekend, hopefully, with a win. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.